I, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, send grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father to you, his beloved church. As I have suffered in this body through physical pain, I can assure you that it does not compare to the eternal glory given through Jesus the Christ. You will have trouble and pain in this life, but take heart, dear ones. Jesus, the eternal King, reigns victorious, and your trials will not be in vain. As you walk out your days, may you leave the mark of love upon all you encounter, just as Christ has loved you. May your words be full of truth and grace, and your hearts overflowing in unwavering commitment and passion for the one who is worthy. Despise evil. Do not invite the enemy to be at ease in your heart and mind. By clinging to what is good and pursuing peace, you will leave no room for his deceptive ways. Do not forget your position in Christ, co-sufferers, co-conquerors, and joint heirs. Repair whatever is broken among you. Live continually in peace, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, be flowing in your spirit. Until we meet. Paul. How many of you guys are grateful for what God is doing in the lives of people in our church? Awesome. Always love Baptism Sunday. It's a celebration. Welcome to those of you who are new with us. As you just heard Rich say, my name is Pete. I have the distinct honor of serving as the lead pastor. And on behalf of my wife, our staff, and all of our Dream Team volunteers, we're just so glad that you're here with us today. To my church family tuning in online, whether you are live streaming or watching this at a later date, I pray that this message is an encouragement to you and it builds your faith. Uh, we are going to continue a series that we began last week uh, looking at the life of one of the most interesting and influential people in all of the Bible, the Apostle Paul. You know, last week we, we looked at his life prior to meeting Christ and his strict upbringing as a Pharisee and his intense hatred of Christians and how he persecuted the church and how radically he was changed when he met Christ. And from that, we learn that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And what God did in Paul's life, he wants to do in your life. Just because you have a past doesn't mean you're disqualified from doing something significant for God. God wants to write a story through your life. Today, we're going to look at what happened in Paul's life pretty soon after he had that experience of meeting Jesus. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'd love for you to turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to talk to you today about the process that God takes us through in different seasons in our lives. Today, I want to give you the big idea for the message right up front and then spend our time together kind of unpacking this idea. And what we're going to learn from this season of Paul's life is that private preparation precedes public promotion, that God will privately prepare us before he publicly promotes us. All of us in this room have desires, dreams, things that we believe that God has called us to do or things that we want to do in this life. How many of you would say you're in a season of waiting, that you're not quite yet in that place where you are doing the things that you have dreamed of in your heart? Anybody in a season of waiting? Even if you're not, you can probably identify and relate with knowing what it's like to be waiting. Maybe you're here today and you're waiting to get married. 
Anybody waiting to get married? Any single people in the room? Lift your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Look around. Scope out the territory. If you catch somebody's eye, maybe make it a point to go up to them after service and grab their digits. I'm just trying to help you all out, okay? Maybe you're waiting to have kids. Maybe you are waiting for your grown kids to actually leave the house. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a promotion. We're all waiting for something or have experienced times in our lives where we're waiting for something to come. Kelly and I are in a season right now where we're waiting to hear back from the agency that we've been working with to let us know that we are certified to be foster parents. Uh, I shared with you guys a couple months ago, I shared with you a couple months ago that we want to adopt out of the foster care system and uh, we should hear back any day now, hopefully, that we are certified and can be placed with children, so that's exciting. But after Saul's conversion that we talked about last week, he also had a season of waiting before he would step into his calling which was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which Gentiles, in case you don't know, are just non-Jews. Anybody who wasn't a Jew is a Gentile. Most of us in this room today are Gentiles. And he writes about that season in his letter to the Galatians. Now, Galatians was written probably 15 to 20 years after the experience he had on the road to Damascus. And we're gonna pick it up in Galatians chapter one, verse 11, where Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, the gospel that I preached to you, the good news about Jesus that I told you, I didn't get that from a bunch of philosophers. Peter and the other apostles didn't, didn't teach that to me. I received that by direct revelation from Jesus. I want you to know today that God wants you to have a personal revelation of Jesus for yourself, not one that you received from someone else's revelation of Jesus. In this day of on-demand podcasts and sermons that you can watch on YouTube and other platforms where you can listen to some of the greatest communicators in the world, T.D. Jake, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Meyer, you name it, we can often find ourselves where we're listening to other people but not really listening to Jesus. And God wants you to have a direct, personal, genuine, real revelation of Jesus for yourself. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. I love that Paul doesn't hide his past here. He's like, yeah, I was a bad guy. I, I persecuted the church. I killed Christians for a living. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, who pursued me from the day I was born and called me by his grace, Paul was saying, yeah, I had a past, but God. How many of you are thankful for the but God moments in your life? Maybe you've done some bad things in your past. Maybe some bad things are done to you, but that doesn't disqualify you from the calling of God on your life. Paul said he called me by his grace. He didn't call me because of my wealth. He didn't call me because of my good looks. He didn't call me because of my family or my connections or my education. He didn't call me because I had the skills to do this. 
He called me by his grace, the unearned, unmerited favor of God. I couldn't earn it. I could only receive it. The calling that God has on your life isn't because you're so good or you're so special or because you are qualified to do it. The calling he has on your life is simply because he loves you and has extended the privilege to you to partner with him to bring his kingdom to earth and represent Jesus. It's grace, it's unearned favor. Verse 15, he continues. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Today I wanna talk to you about Paul's time in Arabia. I wanna talk and look at what God did in Paul's life in Arabia over those three years. And honestly, it was a little tough preparing this message because there's not a lot that's known about his time in Arabia. I said, you know, God, how am I supposed to preach a whole message when there's really not much that's documented that happened during that time? But isn't that kind of like society, though, to kind of look over and gloss over the quiet, hidden seasons? When you watch a documentary or a biography on Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln or some other great leader, you know, they only highlight the highlights, the things that happen in the public eye, right? They don't really spend much time focusing on the quiet and hidden seasons. And honestly, scriptures are not that much different. The writers of the books that we read in the Old and New Testaments were very selective and kind of just putting out there the key events that happen in the lives of the individuals. And if it wasn't for this one reference to him going to Arabia, we really wouldn't know much. It's kind of just glossed over a little bit. We can only speculate as to why he went there and what he did while he was there. But based on the principles and the patterns that I see repeated throughout Scripture, and how God works in the lives of his people, I'm gonna attempt to fill in the blanks with what I believe was happening in Paul's life during those three years in Arabia, and what I believe he wants to do in our lives in those seasons of hiddenness and quiet. Now first, it's important for us to understand what he meant by the term Arabia. See, in our context, when we hear that, we think of Saudi Arabia, but in the first century, Arabia most likely referred to the Syro-Arabian Desert, which is further north of Saudi Arabia and includes portions of modern-day Syria and Jordan, which is just to the east and south of the country of Israel. So some scholars speculate that he traveled east into the Syrian desert, but it's more likely that he traveled south. There was a major trade route back then called the King's Highway, and he may have traveled even to the city of Petra, in the Nabataean kingdom, which is in the modern-day country of Jordan. See, I believe God was putting Paul into a private process that prepared him for his public promotion. And similarly, there are seasons in our lives that others may think are insignificant and are maybe invisible, we're not seen by others, but those are the seasons where God is preparing you for what he's prepared for you. As I mentioned earlier, Kelly and I 
have been going through a process where we are waiting to hear that we are certified to be foster parents, but, you know, there's been a 10-month almost process of us filling out a whole lot of forms, I mean, a mountain of paperwork and different forms that we've had to fill out. We've attended classes, we've done a home study, and there's been a process, and a lot of it's been uncomfortable, and it's been inconvenient, but it's, it's part of the process, Similar to how a woman who's getting ready to to give birth, her body goes through a lot of changes in preparation to bring this new life into the world. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient at times, but it's part of the process. Everyone say it's part of the process. It's part of the process. And in the same way as Christians, we will go through seasons where God wants to birth something new through us, but he has to take us through a process first. And it might be uncomfortable, and it might be inconvenient, but it's part of the process. There's a private preparation before the public proclamation. There's a private development that happens before there is the public promotion. And when you're in a season of private preparation, you're gonna feel uncomfortable. There'll be some pain, there'll be some frustration, And if you compare your season with somebody else's season who's further along or who is experiencing some sort of harvest, you could kind of get discouraged. You can go, God, why am I not seeing breakthrough in my life? I see so many other people getting breakthrough, but I've been in this season long enough. God, where's my breakthrough? And God is saying, just hold on, just trust me. Your harvest is coming. There's a process. Farmers know that before there's the harvest, You have to prepare the ground to receive the seed, to receive the harvest. We know that for these three years, Paul did not write any books. He didn't do any of his missionary journeys. He didn't plant any churches. Some scholars have suggested that he may have preached to the Arab tribes that he found there, which might explain why King Eratos tried to kill him in Damascus, which he talks about in references and in 2 Corinthians. Other scholars think he may have gone as far south as Mount Sinai, uh, which is where Elijah and Moses went to meet with God. He references Mount Sinai further on in Galatians chapter 4. We just don't know for certain because there's no documented accounts of what happened during those three years in Arabia. But for me, I strongly believe that this was a time where Paul was talking to God where he was restudying the Torah. And I told you last week, as a Pharisee, he knew the Torah, the law, inside and out. But now he's restudying it in light of the fact that all of these scriptures that he had spent his whole life memorizing were pointing to this guy named Jesus that just met him on the road to Damascus. And so he is receiving direct revelation from Jesus during these three years in Arabia that would form the basis for his teaching for the rest of his life. Before he would stand before great leaders, Paul was pulled into a private, quiet place where God would begin to develop his character that would sustain his decades of traveling overseas and planting churches, enduring persecution. Before he stood before great leaders, before he started any churches before he wrote a single book of the Bible. God spent three years cultivating his character, privately preparing him before publicly promoting him. 
And a lot of us, I find today in our lives, want to skip Arabia because it's not a fun season. We are a microwave generation serving a crockpot God. We want things now, right? We want to put the popcorn in the microwave and hit the two-minute, 30-second button, and we stand there and wait because we want our popcorn now. You put the hot pocket in there, ding, like we're ready to go. You're like, God, where's my harvest? I want my promise now. And God says, no, this is going to be a crockpot season. It's not going to be that easy. I'm going to prepare you because if you step into what I have ahead of you too soon, you won't have the character to sustain you. So what I'm going to do in Arabia is going to be slow. It's going to be painful. And if you compare yourself to others who are building things really fast and experiencing fast growth and, and fast, fast harvest, you're going to get discouraged. So what I want you to do is I want you to shut the door and close the blinds. And I want you to focus on what I'm doing in you right now. There's some things, Paul, that have been put in you over the last 30 years that I've got to take out of you. And there's some new things that I need to deposit in you. I think a lot of times we miss out on the purpose of the season that we are in because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else's season who's experiencing the kind of things that, that we wish we were experiencing. We're so focused on what other people are getting to do that God says, don't look at other people, you look at me. I've not called you to do the same thing that they're doing. I've got different works planned for you and right now I need to prepare you for those works. We learned last week that Paul was chosen by God to preach the gospel, to preach the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. But just because he was anointed to do that doesn't mean he was immediately appointed to do that. How many of you know there's often a season of preparation between the anointing and the appointing? We see this repeated throughout scripture. Look at Abraham and Sarah who God promised to give them a child in their old age. Do you know how many years before Isaac was born after the promise? 25 years they waited for the promise. How about Joseph who was given a dream by God that he would rule over his family? 13 years it would take for that dream to become reality. How about David, who was anointed to be the king of Israel at 15 years old? He wouldn't be appointed as king until he was 30 years old. He waited 15 years between the anointing and the appointing, where God was developing him and shaping him, preparing him, the private preparation before the public promotion. God needs to do some things in us before he can do things through us. Because if you step out before it's time, you won't have the character to handle the criticism that will come or the praise that will come. So the first thing that God does in our Arabia seasons is he prepares our identity in the process. See, identity precedes activity, or at least it should. If you get the two mixed up, if you try to do before you know who you are, you will live your life in constant insecurity. What you do for God should flow out of who you are in him, not the other way around. But for those of us like myself who are performance-oriented, people addicts, approval addicts, we tend to find our sense of self-worth, our value from what we do rather than who we are. Look at all these things I'm doing. Aren't you proud of me? Am I, am I good enough? We get it mixed up. 
See, Paul thought he knew who he was before he met Jesus, and he even writes about it in his letter to the Philippians when he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I was perfect. I obeyed the law without fault. He was like, I was a big deal. I mean, I had a lot going on. I was an up-and-coming leader in the Pharisees. And then he says in verse 7, I once thought those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done in me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, when he met Jesus, everything changed. His identity changed, which is why he would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? Has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are given a new identity. You become a new person. You are a son or daughter of the king. And honestly, without a solid grasp of his new identity in Christ, I don't think Paul's character sustains him for the things that God has called him to do. I think he crumbles under the weight of the opposition that he will face. The beatings, the torture, the imprisonment, the the criticism, being made fun of for being a horrible public communicator, which happened to Paul. The loneliness that would set in when his closest friends abandoned him. So before he stepped into that next season, that public proclamation, he needed his identity to be firmly established in Christ. Do you know that God did the same thing with Jesus? Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. So what was happening in the quiet, hidden season of the first 30 years of his life? There was only one mention of him in scripture when he was 12 years old, after his birth. He was being prepared, he was being developed. His identity was being established. In fact, before he preached a single sermon, before he performed a single miracle, he was baptized in the Jordan River. And you remember what happened? A voice from heaven was heard saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God was establishing his identity before he had done anything. He's saying, this is my son, that's your identity. I'm not pleased with you because of what you've done. You haven't done anything yet. I'm pleased with you just because you're my son. God prepares our identity in the process. What's one of the first things that you ask someone when you, when you meet them for the first time? Maybe the second, third question, what do you do, right? When you're getting to know someone, who are you, where are you from, what do you do? What do you do? That's always one of the common questions, as if what you do determines who you are, right? We ask questions, what do you do? Well, I'm a teacher. Okay, that's your identity. Oh, you're a plumber. I'm, I'm an electrician. I'm, I'm a coach. That's your identity, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm a football player, you know, you're a car salesman, and you get different reactions to people's responses. You're a pastor, that's your identity. Listen to me, what you do is not who you are. Our worth, our value, our significance does not come from what we do, but from whose we are. Whose we are determines who we are. 
When I know that I belong to God, my Father who loves me and who's pleased with me, I can be confident no matter what I do. My vocation does not determine my identification. See, for me, if my identity isn't firmly established in Christ as I preach from this stage week in and week out, then I am constantly crumbling from the criticism or the compliments that I get. I'm either living by the pride of compliments or by the discouragement of criticisms. And if you live for the approval of others, you will die by the absence of the same. But when my identity is firmly established in Christ, it doesn't matter what you say. The cheers don't make me and the spears don't break me because I know that I am loved by my Father. I belong to him and he is pleased with me. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that the criticisms don't hurt. My feelings get hurt when people say things about me, and it doesn't happen often, but you'd be surprised at the audacity of some people to complain about some of the things I say in my sermons. And yes, it hurts my feelings because I am performance-oriented, and I want people to like me. And honestly, you know what, there's, there's times where I look around at other pastors, other communicators, and I see their platform, I see how many followers they have on social media, I see how effective they are at communicating the gospel, and I compare myself to them, and I'm like, man, I could never be that good. I'm so inadequate And I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who's ever struggled with comparison here before, but if if you've experienced it before, then you know what it's like and how how just worthless and inadequate you can feel when you compare yourself to somebody else. But God says, hold on a second. I know the process I have you in is painful, but it's, it's so necessary. And I know you see other people who are getting to do more than you or have more than you or are experiencing fast growth and all of this stuff, but what I've called you to is different. I've called you to a a long road of obedience. It's not gonna be sexy, it's not gonna be flashy. I'm not the God of flashy, I'm the God of faithful. You don't look at them, you look at me. So maybe you're in an Arabian season right now. Don't despise the seasons of hiddenness. God is preparing your identity in the process brick by brick. What good is it to build a house really fast if you don't lay the foundation right to begin with? And when it comes to your spiritual journey, when it comes to your walk and relationship with Jesus and the things that he's called you to do, nothing is more foundational than your identity in Christ. That has to be established first. And if it's not, the house will crumble. The second thing that God does in our Arabian season is he prepares our perseverance in the process. I believe one of the things that God did in Paul in those three years in Arabia was reveal to him some of the things that he was gonna have to endure to fulfill his call to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. And he mentally prepared him so that he would persevere when those trials and tribulations came. I believe that the things that we read in scripture, the, the letters that Paul wrote were in part inspired by what God showed him during these three years in Arabia. The private preparation that Paul went through, 
that would eventually be publicly proclaimed in his letter to the Galatians and to the church at Colossae and Philippi and to the Romans. Like what he writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, 20 years after the Damascus Road experience, I can imagine Paul reflecting back on what God had showed him during that hidden season of private preparation when he writes, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The word perseverance means steadfast, patient, The ability to endure, it means stamina. Stamina means you've got the ability to stick with something even after it gets hard and even after the feelings of, I just want to quit. And I don't know about you, but it seems like we live in a time where people more than ever are quick quitters. The moment they face opposition, the moment something gets tough, the moment, you know, people start saying stuff about them, they're like, oh, this is too hard. It's not worth it. And they give up. I think we need to rediscover the virtue and the value of stamina, endurance, and perseverance. We've got to learn how to lean in and refuse to leave something just because it's hard or because we're not seeing fast results. I don't know about you, but I don't want my kids, when they grow up, to say, yeah, you know what my dad was good at? He was really good at quitting things when things got hard. That's not what I want my kids to say about me. When my boys who are 10 and 12 now are 23 and 25, I want them to say, you know what? My dad, man, he had some stamina. He had a grit to him. He had a persevering spirit that refused to give up on things. Even when people were saying stuff about him, he was faithful to be obedient to the call of God on his life, even when nobody else listened, even when it was hard. That's what I want my kids to say about me. God uses the Arabia seasons in our life to develop perseverance. And there's something about being alone that helps to develop that, isn't it? How many of you have seen the, the show Alone? It's, I don't know if it's on the History Channel or, or one of those cable, cable uh, networks. It's a survival show. If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. It's fascinating. Um, my family just finished, I think it was season eight. And the premise of it basically is they take 10 contestants who are all skilled in, you know, bushcraft and survival skills, and they drop them off in a remote place, um, and they're spread out so they don't interact with one another, uh, usually around a lake, and basically the person who lasts the longest, last man standing, wins $500,000. But it's complete isolation the whole time. They have to build their own shelter. They have to learn how to forage and hunt for their own food. They're allowed to bring 10 survival items with them and try to carve out a living and outlast all the other contestants. And on the most recent season that we watched, the contestant who won, I think his name was Clay, lasted 75 days. And in his like closing interview, he said something that made me think about the sermon I was preparing. He said, man, there's something about being alone for an extended period of time that really reveals who you are. And for me, it sharpened and deepened my desire to persevere when things got hard because I want to set an example for my two boys that when things got hard, dad pressed through. He didn't give up. There's something about being alone where God shapes and, and prepares our perseverance in the process. Later on in Paul's life, we would see that his, his life was marked by perseverance. Shipwrecks couldn't stop him. 
Snake bites couldn't stop him. Persecution couldn't stop him. Jail cells couldn't stop him. He always found a way to push through whatever barrier, whatever obstacle was facing him. It's not about how fast you get to the finish line. It's about sticking with something to the end, being faithful to do what he's called you to do. It's about having the discipline to stay when you feel like giving up. And that is developed in you in the quiet, hidden seasons. Private preparation precedes public promotion. See, there are steps to reach God's plan for your life. There are steps to receive the promise. And how sad would it be for you if you stepped into the next season only to have God tell you you've got to go back because you skipped the step. You missed something. You missed what I was trying to do in you in the last season. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his epistle, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, which tells me that the people who are anxious to skip over the Arabia seasons don't let perseverance finish its work because it takes time for perseverance to work itself out in you. And when you don't let perseverance finish its work, you will lack something. You're going to be missing the things that God needs to put in you in order to be successful in the next season and assignment for your life. In order to realize the dream that God's put in your heart, we will have to go through seasons in Arabia where God prepares our perseverance. So the first thing he does is prepare our identity. The second thing is prepare our perseverance. The third thing he does is God prepares our character in the process. A moment ago, I read to you from Romans chapter 5, verse 3, which I want to go back to. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Character is who you are when no one's watching. It's integrity. Too many people have crashed and burned because their character couldn't sustain them in the spotlight. Charisma and gifting may get you noticed and, and put on the stage, but it's your character that determines whether you'll make it the distance. We've got way too many people in the Christian church culture today who are crashing and burning because they didn't have the character to sustain them when the public spotlight was on them. It exposed their weaknesses, the chinks in the armor, because maybe they skipped over or moved too quickly through the private preparation process. Will you do the right thing when no one's watching? Will you remain faithful with the little things when your heart is longing for bigger opportunities? People who feel like, I've got so much more to contribute. I, I can teach. I can do this. I should be on stage. But maybe God says, no, I want you to be faithful in the nursery right now. I've got you serving on, on a camera platform or in, in the control room, on the parking team. Will you be faithful in the little things? Because when you're faithful with little, then I'll entrust you with more. Will you celebrate when others get recognized when you're being looked over? That's character. Will you rejoice with others when they get their harvest while you're still waiting for yours? That's a big one. I remember when Kelly and I were going through our infertility journey and how difficult it was to celebrate with our friends who were getting pregnant while we had negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test. But we celebrated with them. I remember, I've shared this with some of you before, but not all of you know this. So my call to ministry, I felt like I was 13 years old when I felt like God spoke very clearly to me that I would one day be in vocational ministry. 
But my path to realizing my dream to be a pastor was anything but traditional, and it would take 22 years for that dream, that calling, to be a reality. And I remember when Life Church began, it was founded in 2006 by my predecessor and spiritual father, mentor, Pastor Craig McLeod, started the church in 2006, and we were very close. He knew of my desire to be in vocational ministry, and he recognized the call of God on my life and began to give me several opportunities a year to, you know, preach while he would go out of town or on vacation. And I remember uh, him taking me down to a conference in North Carolina one time where he's like, Pete, I know you want to be in the ministry. Let's figure out what it's going to take for you to join the staff as an associate pastor. So we pulled out a sheet of paper and, and started drawing up plans. He's like, okay, how many tithing family members do we need to add to the church before we can afford to, to pay you a salary and you can become an associate pastor? And man, I was getting excited. I'm like, finally, the dream of my heart, the dream of my life is gonna be a reality. I'm gonna be a pastor. And so this was the plan. We were working towards it for the next two years. That was the goal that he and I had in mind that we were working towards. Then in 2009, a prophet by the name of Clem Ferris came to town. Some of you know Clem, some of you don't. He's actually going to be here next month. I'm excited for you to be able to hear from him. But he came to do a weekend of ministry to our church. And I remember the Sunday morning, he came like it was yesterday. He called Kelly and I up to the stage. We sat on the hot seat right in the center of the stage. And he began prophesying over us. And after prophesying a few things over Kelly, he laid his hands on me and he said this. He said, Pete, you need to stop striving for position because there's a number two guy coming and you're not it. And my heart sank. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not it? He had no idea that Craig and I had been talking for the last two years about this being the plan that I was going to be the associate pastor. And then he said, if you were to be in the position you're currently striving for, you wouldn't be free to move when God says move because there's a season of migration coming. And let me tell you, I wrestled with that word. I was disappointed by that word. A year later, I would be sitting in the sound booth, which is where I was pretty much permanently placed. I ran sound every weekend, along with Mike and Bethany Mazur. And I watched as Lauren Sperry was ordained and announced as the executive pastor of Life Church Buffalo. And though my heart was aching because he was stepping into the position that I had been wanting to step into since the moment Life Church began, I chose in that moment to celebrate what God was doing in his life, believing that there was still a promise and a harvest to come for my life. Two years later, I would get an unexpected text wanting to know if I'd be interested in interviewing for a campus pastor position at a church in Columbus, Ohio. A season of migration had come and I was free to move when God said move. But God was developing my character in that process to rejoice with Lauren when he got to step into his calling even though my time had not yet come. God wants to develop your character in the hidden and quiet seasons. Are you a person of integrity? Are you trustworthy? Do you honor the people in your life? those above you, those on the same level as you, and those who are under you? Do you honor them? See, character is not what you say when the person is in the room. Character is what you say about them when they leave the room. Don't tell me what they said about me. Tell me why they were so comfortable to tell it to you to begin with. Are you a person who entertains gossip? 
See, God's not gonna promote you to the next level, the next season of your life if you haven't proven your trustworthiness to honor the people that he has placed you with in this season of your life. He will not publicly promote you until he has privately prepared you and your character is a big part of what he is preparing during the Arabia seasons. Just like a diamond undergoes, it doesn't start out as this beautiful, shiny stone. It undergoes an intense amount of pressure and and heat and there's a cutting. And some of you are in this process right now and I know you wish it was over you're like, man, I wish God would just hurry this up, speed it up so I can get my promotion, just get the season over with and advance me to the next level. But God says, don't shortcut the process because if you shortcut the process, you'll compromise your character. He says, I'm laying a foundation in you and it's gonna be long and there are gonna be times where you're frustrated and it's painful, but I'm cutting and I'm bringing heat. Now don't mistake what I'm saying. God is not the God of pain. He is not the author of confusion or darkness or sickness. That's not my theology. God is a good God. But you've heard me say this before, and I will say it again, and I will continue to say it. I believe with all my heart that God will often allow in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power because he's more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. God in his sovereignty will take everything that the devil intends to destroy you with, every temptation, every attack, every trial, every hardship, every obstacle, and he will turn it around for good. And the good that he wants to do through those things is to shape your character so that you better reflect Jesus to the world around you and so that you're better prepared to step into the next season of your life. And if you will submit to the process that God wants to bring you through. God has so many things in store for you on the other side. Today's obedience will affect tomorrow's harvest, but you've gotta surrender. The only way to succeed in God's kingdom is to surrender. The only way you're gonna see the diamond be made and be beautiful is to surrender to the pressure, surrender to the heat. And honestly, I feel pressure every single week Pressure to not only be a good husband and a good father, but to pastor this church and to stand up here every week and bring a relevant and encouraging message that will bless you and and help you grow in your faith. And if I was somebody that said, you know what, God, the pressure's too much, I can't handle it. You know, the the responsibility to pastor the church and and lead the staff and and, and still be a good husband and good father, I don't I don't want it anymore. But if I if I ran from the pressure, I would forfeit the prize. How many of you know that we're gonna be rewarded when we get to heaven based upon our faithfulness to do the things that he had planned for us to do? There are different levels of reward in heaven. That is very clear in scripture. And I don't wanna forfeit my reward just because I didn't wanna go through the process, just because I didn't want the pressure. Don't run from the pressure. If you'll surrender to the heat, the pressure, the cutting, God has more for you than you can possibly imagine. Number four, as I get ready to close, God prepares our hope in the process. The enemy would love to use these seasons, these Arabia seasons, to kill and and steal and destroy your hope, but God wants to use these seasons to firmly establish your hope. See, it's in these seasons that God wants to make heaven more real to you so that you can live with an eternal mindset 
that will help you push through when things get hard. See, that's one of the things I believe God did in Paul's heart during these three years in Arabia was to give him, through direct revelation from Jesus, to give him a hope to live for and to cling to when he faced these persecutions. That's why he could later write for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because I know I have a hope that there is eternal life with an eternal reward that nobody can take from me. Getting back to what he wrote in Romans 5, let's go back to it one more time. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And he says in the next verse, and hope does not put us to shame because God who loves us has been God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, biblical hope is not the same as how we use the word hope. A lot of times in our culture, we use the word hope like it's wishful thinking. I hope I passed that pop quiz that I didn't study for. I hope Santa brings me some presents. I hope I made the nice list. No, biblical hope is defined as a confident expectation. A confident expectation. Hope means I'm on the edge of my seat expecting God to move. Hope means I confidently expect that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that this hope is an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. When the storms of life want to toss you to and fro, it's our hope in Jesus that keeps us from being shipwrecked. Peter says it's a living hope. Paul writes about hope this way in Colossians chapter one. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firmed and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me, we talked about that last week, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now has been disclosed to us, has been disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe Jesus revealed this to Paul while he was in Arabia. God wants to establish the living hope of Christ in you and give you the confident expectation that because he is in you, you will get to share in his glory one day. That happens in the quiet seasons, the private preparation before the public promotion right now. Maybe right now you're here and you would say, you know what? I don't have much hope. Maybe you feel like your cup of hope, your tank is running a little low. Maybe it's on E. Say, I feel discouraged. I feel overwhelmed. I could really use some hope right now. Maybe you've been comparing yourself to others. Maybe you forgot your true identity in Christ. Maybe you've tried to skip over Arabia or shortcut the process of of preparation, which has only lengthened the process. The good news is God wants to restore your hope today. It's time to lean in and and trust the process. Don't 
Don't skip the process. Embrace the process because God wants to birth something new in you and through you. He wants to establish your identity in the process. He wants to prepare your perseverance in the process. He wants to prepare your character in the process. And he wants to prepare your hope in the process. Don't give up. Too many people quit when they're right near the finish line. They give up right before the breakthrough. Embrace the process. It's worth it. It's worth it. You know, speaking of hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the public proclamation of a private process. You know, we saw a dozen or more people this morning publicly proclaim what had privately happened in their hearts when they made Jesus the Lord of their lives. That's what baptism is. It is a public demonstration of an inward decision. In the same way that my wedding wedding ring tells the world that I am in a committed and covenant relationship, that I belong to Kelly, baptism is a way for us to tell the world that we are in a committed covenant relationship with Jesus and that we belong to him. And I believe that there's some people in the room here today that were supposed to be baptized, that were either afraid to get baptized or they didn't realize that that was their next step. Maybe they thought, you know what, I was baptized as a baby, so I'm good. And I know that we grow up in an area of the country where that's a very common and prevalent tradition. And while that was a great gesture on the part of your parents for what they wanted for your life, if I could be so bold as to say this, what we read in scripture is very clear and that baptism was always something that was done after a person decided for themselves to believe in and follow Jesus. And if you were baptized as a baby, the truth of the matter is that wasn't your decision. That was your parents' decision. You didn't know what was going on. You had nothing to do with it. And so Peter says that we should repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Like it's part of our salvation journey. Like we repent and then we're baptized. It is everyone's next step after they give their lives to Jesus. And maybe some of you need to take that, to, take that step today. Paul writes about it in uh, Romans chapter six when he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is a symbol where we identify with Christ who died for sin. And in the same way that Jesus was put into a tomb after he was killed for uh, being a sacrifice for sin, we are identifying with him and we go under the water, we are basically saying, I am dying to my old sinful nature. And in the same way that it says, Jesus, by the glory of the Father, was raised to new life, when we come out of the water, it's a symbol that we are being raised to new life in Christ. The hope of glory, Christ in you. And maybe you're realizing, well, I had no idea that I, I needed to do that, even though I was baptized as a baby. Listen, as a church, We've gone to great lengths to make sure that there is no excuse and no reason why anyone who needs to take that step doesn't take that step. And maybe you say, well, I didn't come prepared to do that. Guess what? We're prepared for you. And so we always have kits available in the back. 
made up, ready for both men and women that have shorts, underwear, t-shirts, undergarments, like everything you need to do to, after the service lets out, go get changed. We'll keep the water warm for you. We'll get you dunked and baptized so that you can come up out of that water a new creation in Christ. And so if you're ready to take that step and make that decision to go public with your faith, After I pray and dismiss, I want to encourage you to head out these doors and immediately to the right is the connections room. We've got our baptism team set up and they're ready to receive you, get you set up, you can get changed and we'll baptize you. But right now, I want to pray and close this out, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that though we don't know for certainty what happened in those three years that Paul went to Arabia, based on how we see you work in people's lives over and over and over again. We know that there is a private process that you want to take each and every single one of us through. God, where you want to establish our identity in the process. You want us to know that our worth doesn't come from what we do. Our worth comes from who we belong to, that we are yours. We belong to you. You love us and you're pleased with us. You want to prepare our perseverance in the process. You want to help us develop some grit and some stamina to be able to push through when things get hard, to push through the opposition and the criticism. You want to prepare our character. You want to make us men and women of integrity who are trustworthy. And God, you want to prepare our hope in the process as well. You want to help us to know that when we face hard things, there's a reward waiting for us on the other side, the hope of glory. We will get to share in your glory one day. So God, right now, just all across this room, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to every person. You would, right where they're at, whatever they need, whatever part that they had missed before, God, I just pray that they would know that you are with them, that they're There is a process that is worth it. It might be hard, it might be frustrating, it might be painful, but it's necessary if we're gonna accomplish the things that you've called us to do, if we're gonna make it the distance. With all heads closed, heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't wanna pass up the opportunity as we talk about identity in Christ to ask if there's anybody here today that says, you know what? I've never made the decision to surrender my life to Christ. When we talk about being sons and daughters of God, it says that to as many as believed him and who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. We don't become sons and daughters of God until we surrender our lives to Jesus and place our faith in him. And I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your past is like. But if you are here this morning and you know that You need to make that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again. And I wanna have the hope of glory one day. I wanna know that when I reach the end of this life, that I'll get to spend eternity with you. So all across this room, if you're ready to make that decision, would you just boldly shoot your hand up? Say, yes, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to know that I belong to him. I see that hand all the way in the back on the left. God bless you. Is there anybody else here today that says, yes, that's me. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. If you're watching online, you just click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. One more time, is there anybody that says, I'm ready 
to surrender my life to Jesus and follow him for the rest of my life. Well, I don't want anybody praying alone. So church, will you join those who are saying yes to a relationship with Jesus right now? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So will you wash me and cleanse me and make me brand new? Jesus, I believe you're the son of God, that you rose from the dead and that you live forevermore. So right now, I give you my life. Be my savior and my Lord. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Now fill me with your spirit and give me the strength and the power to follow you for the rest of my life, even when it gets hard. Give me perseverance to follow you. Give me hope of glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome those born into God's family? Scripture says that when one sinner comes to repentance, the angels in heaven rejoice and celebrate, and we celebrate with them as the family of God continues to grow here. Before I dismiss you, I just want to take a moment to say that they flashed the message on the screen here that says one person made the decision to go ahead and get baptized. And so anybody that wants to stick around and and witness and celebrate those who have made the decision to go public with their faith are welcome to do that. If you said yes to Jesus a moment ago, can I be the first one to say congratulations on the most important decision of your life and welcome to the family of God. You're now a son or daughter of God, and you're our brother or sister of mine. And so we want to come alongside of you and help you on this new journey as a follower of Jesus. And so if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, and just in the seat back pocket in front of you is a green card that says, I have decided. On the back of it, would you just check the box that indicates the decision that you made here today? And on your way out, if you wouldn't mind handing that to one of our Dream Team members who would love to exchange that card for a Bible and some other resources that we want to give you and and gift to you just to help you understand a little bit more about what you just experienced and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And it also suggests some next steps that you can take as the follower of Jesus. And if I could be so bold as to suggest that your very next step is to head to the connections room, get changed, and come over here and get baptized. But church, I love you so much. I'm excited to continue learning more about Paul's life next week. If you're able to stick around and witness the, this, the baptism that's going to happen, we would invite you to do so. But I hope you have a great week. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.